people would send me a $50 Amazon gift card for some nude pictures that weren't even me. These were like regular cam girls that I would take pictures from. And like, I would sell them to people. So like, I, I was making money. E-whoring. It sounds like science fiction, but it's here now, and it is a problem for those caught up in it. My name is Michael, and this is Cybercrimeology, a show about cybercrime, its research, and its researchers. In this show, we talk to Dr. Alice Hutchings, the Deputy Director of the Cambridge Cybercrime Centre at the University of Cambridge, who has recently co-authored a paper on this criminal practice. How's Alice? What is e-whoring? So, to begin with, e-whoring is not a term that I came up with. So it's uh, an interesting term, but it's um, something that's actually used by people who um, engage in e-whoring. Um, so we've used their own terminology to describe this. And it's a term that refers to using kind of social engineering techniques in order to um, imitate partners in uh, online sexual encounters. And uh, they do this in um, exchange for money. Um, so the customers are actually being defrauded because they think they're speaking to typically a young woman. Um, and there's other harms associated with this as well. So um, the main one is that the um, the young woman that they pretend to be, um, they're actually obtaining images of people online and using these to conduct their fraud. So there's um, the harm that's being uh, made to uh, the you know, the people who have been depicted who may not even necessarily know that they've been victimised in this way. So, so uh, in a nutshell, the, the e-whoring generally requires that they're taking images of, of someone real, not necessarily mm-hmm. with their consent. That's right, yes, and then sharing them online um, and obtaining payment for that as well. Okay, so h- how did you get onto, onto this subject? Well, it wasn't something that I was aware of at all until we started analysing some of the data we'd been collecting on one of the um, online underground forums. And it's actually one of the most popular topics on this forum. It's something that um, Hack Forum, some of your listeners may be familiar with this, it's one um, of the uh, sub-forums within Hack Forums that's actually um, growing at the fastest rate. So it's getting a lot of new members um, involved in this area of the forum. Um, and it's something that seems to be thriving on there. And so that's what drew our attention and really spurred our research in this area. So your your data set was, was fairly large, I would say, over 6,500 posts, more mm-hmm. than 2,000 members. How did you go about analysing that to, to draw out more information about e-whoring? So this particular paper, um, Understanding e-whoring, we did a qualitative analysis. So um, it was content analysis. I read all of these descriptions. Um, they were mainly tutorials um, that were being shared online to teach other people how to get involved in e-whoring. Um, and so I read all these and then I um, coded them according to the relative stage of the of the um, tutorial that it was relating to. So did it refer to obtaining photos or did it refer to um, 
engaging with potential customers or receiving money, for example. Um, so I coded these thematically um, and then was able to uh, use this to generate a crime script of how this particular crime type is carried out. So um, let's just run through that crime script. If, if, if one were to engage in, in this kind of activity, uh, where would they start? What would be the, the, the preparation stage for, for this kind of? So the preparation would be um, using very much the same data that I use to inform my paper. Um, so it would be uh, coming across e-whoring and then um, engaging in the tutorials that are provided on the forums. So this is not an intuitive uh, money-making technique. Um, and so you it's, it's something that you would most likely have to have encountered um, the business opportunities that are discussed online. Uh, and then um, there's also provided here very detailed information about how to carry this out. Um, and so, yeah, that would, that would be the first step involved, kind of learning about it and learning about how to um, to make money from that. And then they have to get involved. So, so how would they enter into this kind of activity? So the first part there would be obtaining the images. Um, and in fact, one of the reasons why we believe that people are sharing tutorials is to generate a market for the images. So you can purchase images from hack forums um, and other forums. You can um, also get some that are available for free, but these are more likely to be what's referred to as saturated, so more likely to get blocked on the kind of sites that you might be using later on. Um, or you could even go and kind of harvest your own images um, from, say, social media profiles and porn sites. Okay, so we have our we have our images now, and then we move on to. Okay, so the next step would be um, kind of creating an alias and preparing a backstory. So for each um, model that you're depicting, you'll want to have a its own um, kind of story about why they're online, why they're um, trying to sell images, um, and the reason for that. So they're you know trying to. Um, uh, generate money for uh, going to college um, and they'll want to have their own name. Now, you don't want to get these mixed up. You don't want to have the same story for multiple models and you don't want to have um, uh, different stories for the same models because people might try and, um, you know, speak to somebody else and then find the same person and so your customers are going to become um, uh, aware of the fact that they're probably being scanned. So you do, you do need to have kind of um, uh, a storyline for each particular model you're using um, and then you want to use the details to open accounts. So you might want to um, open um, first of all, an email account, and then you'll use that email account to open other accounts, such as your payment platforms, um, accounts in which you're going to be using to communicate with your uh, customers, maybe, for example, a Skype account, um, and also um, accounts where you're going to meet your customers, say, on chat sites, for example. Okay, so by this stage, we have we have our images and we've invented some characters and they have profiles mm -hmm. online. Um, where do we go from here? Okay, so the next step then is sourcing your um, customers. So you want to source traffic and you'll want to be able to um, meet pe people who might want to purchase images from you. 
Um, there's different ways that you can do this. So you can actually, uh, you know, make it known that you're um, advertising images for sale, um, or you can first start having conversations with people and then broach the conversation, um, uh, broach the opportunity for them to purchase images off you. Uh, and people use different approaches depending on the types of platforms they're using to um, to to source their traffic. So it might be through a, um, a, a advertising site such as Craigslist, in which case they tend to just advertise, or it might be through a chat, uh, chat site in which they're more likely to maybe um, start a conversation with somebody first. Okay, so we've we have we have pictures, we have a person, we've found someone mm-hmm. that we're talking to. From them, I guess we negotiate a price. That's right. So you can either have a set price, um, or you can let the customer um, kind of name a, a, an amount and try and negotiate up from there. Um, uh, there is a, a lot of kind of um, discussion on the forums about appropriate pricing, and people generally don't like it when when um, sellers sell for a low price because that will then undercut the the other people who are trying to um, sell images. So the going rate seems to be about um, twenty dollars for photographic images, um, but it does go up if um, the images that are being um, sold are actually um, video. So you can also um, sell interactive cam shows using this method, um, which uh, is actually quite clever, I think. So it involves splicing up video footage um, and then um, uh, being able to change that in, in, in during your conversation with your customer. So um, you can kind of splice the footage back up into different um, uh, different orders depending on how your conversation goes. Right. So you might have, um, say, a whole bunch of video clips of someone raising their left arm or raising their right arm or, or whatever, and you would just put them together dynamically to to suit whatever your your uh, fake conversation requires. That's right, yes. And, I mean, you talk there about raising your arms, so they will often have what's called kind of verification. Um, so if it's a, a um, video footage, then they might have their models doing things like making the peace sign and then you can um, uh, have that as a, as a particular um, uh, part of the – um, the cam show. Um, so if they say, oh, you know, how do we know it's you? I say, well, I'll you know, do a peace sign, then you know it's me. Uh, if it's still images, what they tend to do is have verification templates, um, which they can have images where it's um, relatively easy to make it look like you're writing on, say, your body. Um, and you can maybe write the person's name that you're talking to and the date. Of course, it's uh, it's photoshopped on there, but um, it looks to the customer like the model has actually written that on themselves. Right, right. So good, good enough proof. That's right. Yes. So at this stage, the we we have the customer; they've agreed to buy. How does the payment work for this? So there's two main ways in which um, the uh, in which payments obtained. So there's either PayPal or Amazon gift cards. Um, It depends with PayPal. um, There's different ways you can do this. So you can have a verified or unverified account. Um, 
verified is easier to be able to then move the money out of the account um, and less likely to be blocked. Um, but then there's also additional risks there where it's kind of linked to a, a real name and a real bank account. So um, it does kind of depend about which one, um, which option they go with for that. Um, or the other way is just to receive gift cards through Amazon, which is relatively straightforward. And they can then exchange those um, for other currencies, say on the forum or um, exchange them for, say, Bitcoin, um, or they could actually use them to purchase things themselves. So we've got payment. Um, mm -hmm. now, now I guess the, the images are sent. What happens, what happens after the transaction? So um, the eHorror can either continue to have a conversation with their customer and maybe hope to get some further money out of them. Um, and some of them may even kind of develop into a type of romance scam. Um, or they can just kind of block that person and move on to try and, and target additional customers. Uh, the next, the last step really is trying to exchange the um, the income that they've received um, to be able to take it out of the payment system. Um, so again, that depends on how they've set that up. So if it's a verified PayPal account, it's relatively straightforward to link that with their bank account. Um, but they, as I said, you can also exchange. Uh, PayPal or Amazon on um, the forums. There's a currency exchange section, uh, or there's other um, other websites that you can use to convert uh, different currencies. So, so understanding now, kind of the the general script for this. What, mm -hmm. what are the what are the sort of potential disruptions that come out of uh, out of that? Okay, so we do actually identify a number of different disruption opportunities. Um, that relate to various aspects of the crime script. So how can you, um, say, for example, um, disrupt the obtaining images? Um, so one of the um, particular concerns we had about the different countermeasures that we identified, um, which are things such as increasing the likelihood of image saturation, so trying to identify where these images are being used to advertise or being um, transferred to a customer, um, uh, increase the likelihood that they're going to be detected and, and blocked and kind of shut down those accounts. Now, one of the issues are that these images are actually being stolen from the very types of places where they might then be replaced. Um, so there's the very real possibility that this will have um, impacts on the law-abiding majority. So whether it's um, a victim who's, uh, you know, had their um, Facebook uh, image stolen or whether it's a somebody who's also involved in the online sex trade um, and particularly for those who are involved in um, legitimately in, in the sex trade, the impact on them for their livelihoods um, where they're maybe not being able to use their own images because they've been stolen um, and used by fraudsters, um, there's there's real um, problems there with thinking about how you can actually try and address uh, the impact on, on them. So although we do identify quite a number of different um, interventions, um, there are going to be issues for these kind of law-abiding majority, and there's also issues in relation to incentives. So the people who may, or the organisations, the, the online platforms that might have the ability to 
implement an intervention don't necessarily have the incentive to do so. Um, it might be that having lots of young women, attractive young women on your site actually generates more people coming there. Um, so why would you want to take those down? Um, why would you, um, you know, necessarily want to um, stop the, the payment processing when, again, this is um, generating revenue for you? Um, and there's not necessarily people making complaints about these because they either don't realise they're being victimised or they're too embarrassed to report it if they are. Um, so it, the real kind of economic issues that come into play here in, in terms of disruption. Right. So I, I, get, I guess my question now is... Um... Now that you've been through and you've learnt more about this this strange this strange world, is there anything that you would have done differently if you had the chance to go back through and, and start this research again? Well, um, I don't have to uh, think about that too hard because we actually have gone back and do, done further research. And, I mean, this first paper that we did um, was really trying to understand what was happening. So that's why we refer to it as understanding e-whoring. The second paper that we've just had accepted um, at IMC, the Internet Measurements Conference, which will come out in October, uh, is a measurement paper. So it's trying to provide a bit more quantification behind um, how much is happening, how much money they're making, um, and, and that side of things. So that's really um uh, yeah, it's it's uh, not the only paper on this topic. Wonderful. So you're gonna we'll you're you'll follow up the the how with the how much. Exactly. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. Well, uh, I I guess we'll we'll break it there. Thank you very much, Alice. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Cybercrimeology is a podcast about cybercrime, its research, and its researchers. Cyberspace is the new, new world, and understanding it takes all types of research fields and all kinds of people. This show was created in the hope that it'll help those people learn about each other and their work. It's produced by me, as made possible by the kind guests sharing their time and their research. If you'd like to know more about the topics mentioned in this show, please check out the show notes at cybercrimology.com.